So you commented last week in that video that there, there are a lot of stories behind the story kind of thing. Yeah. And the one that raises to me the most curiosity is what's the deal with the, the text popping down the side of that one screen? What was happening there? Yeah, I think if you, if you don't know what's happening, you're re trying to read those texts and you're trying to make sense of what's going on and, and it's a little difficult. So I'll, I'll give you the insight. Uh, we have a really awesome uh, former revived student who's uh, now graduating college uh, and he played college baseball, really cool guy. His name's Adam Scharf. I love Adam, and so do all of the junior high and high school boys. Okay? Adam's like the, the coolest guy. So I hear that a bunch of junior high boys are following Adam up to the tower. And I'm like, oh, I'll tag along, I'll go with them. I'll kind of bring up the rear while Adam charges up the front and all the kids go with him. I'll struggle up the hundred and however many stairs there are. And, and 127. 127 yep. stairs. Yep. And <clears throat> take a couple breaks along the way and then, you know, meet them up at the top. So I follow them in and whoever unlocked the deadbolt, there's like a little master lock with a key. Whoever unlocked it, when they started walking up, left the lock and the key in it. This is a problem when you're around someone like me. Because <laughs> I let them all go up the stairs, and then I decided to play a prank. So I locked, the, I locked the, the master lock, and I took the key out and I put it in my pocket. And we get up there, and I'm telling all kinds of stories, 99% of them true, one of them not true. Uh, the one that was not true was that there was one time when I was up there after dark, which is, we were up there after, you know, as, it was, um, as it was becoming night, it was like somebody heard me. Somebody heard me and, and my friend up here. So as we were uh, up here, someone, because we're up there after hours and we're not supposed to be, they called the cops. And when we came down to the bottom, the lock was, was shut and we couldn't get out. And it was, the person that was sitting there was like, you're not supposed to be in there, so I've locked the devil until the cops can arrive and, and deal with you. And I'm telling it, you know, I'm, I'm really hyping up the fear that I had. And I'm like, guys, you have to, at the whole time I'm up there, I'm like, you guys have to be quiet. You guys, I don't want to deal with the police today. Not today. Come on, don't do that. Well, we get downstairs, down to the bottom, and I'm, I'm in the back. I'm trying to relay this information to Adam and to the other guys that were with us. But it was hard to do when you've got eight or nine junior hires also listening intently. Right, right. So we send the kids down. And as they get to the bottom, I hear from, like, from the bottom level, oh, no, we're locked in. <laughs> they have no idea that I have the key, and neither does Adam, nor does uh, Brittany, or any of the other people that were actually coming up to the tower at that time. So Adam starts texting people, hey, I think we're locked in the tower. Like, this is a problem. We need help. And I'm trying, while kids are looking at me like, it happened again? Are we really going to have to deal with the police? I'm trying to, you know, tell, tell the, the older people in, in the tower, like, hey, we're good, we're good, I have the key. Uh, while also communicating that to the people on the outside who are like, do you need help? Do I need to go get a key from the front desk? I'm like, no, no, we're good. Wait, yes, yes, we do need a key. Oh, man, like, I'm all, I'm all jumbled. And finally, um, as, you know, we're, I've just spun this, this web, and I've got a kid, not on the verge of crying, but like starting to show signs of, oh, we're never going to get out of here. Um, I, I turn, and I'm, I'm about to tell him that I've got the key, but then I hear some clanking on the door, and I turn around, and Ryan Worvey, 
whose head is just small enough to fit through the gate. He's snuck through, and he actually climbed over the top of this one part and snuck through and got out. I'm like, okay, now's the time. I'll pull out the key and let everybody out. And as soon as I did that, he turned and he goes, you had it the whole time? Yeah. So, so those text messages along with some of those pictures, that's, that is from... And sometime in there, I'm one of the people that got texted. So I went to the front desk to get a key, came on around over to... Yeah, it was, it was a very fun night. Very, very fun night. Hey, speaking of fun nights, we were, we were just here a short time ago. Yeah. Uh, about less than 12 hours ago and, and enjoyed being together for an evening of, of singing and worshiping our God really grateful for all the work everybody did pulling together a solid hour plus of, of great music. Yeah, uh, it was Miranda's idea, and she did an incredible job with all the transitions and making sure that it was just a, a really, really cool night. It was especially special for Riley and I. We got to sit in the back for once, Yeah, which, I mean, the sound in this part of the room is just killer compared to right there. So, right, right. so that was special, but it was also special because it was six years to the day that we wouldn't have been able to sit where we did, where Cameron's sitting right now, right? Because there was an this aisle. This was an aisle, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was our our sixth anniversary, so yeah, pretty cool. That's awesome uh, to be here celebrating and and praising God on yeah. on that night together. We also, by the way, this week got a chance to meet the little person on a pic on a picture. So mm -hmm. that was fun to see mm -hmm. to see the face of baby. Yep. And doctor knows uh, boy or girl, but but y'all don't. So I'll just keep mentioning that. Okay? I'll tell you one of the pictures in this. I'm sure you know all of you have had kids have been through this and you have watched the, the belly and all that kind of stuff. But uh, one of the pictures that we got, I, I kindly describe, and I'm, this is going to come back to bite me later. One of the pictures, like it's the face-on picture where they're trying to get the eyes. It looks like the thing out of iRobot. You know the old Will Smith movie? Like the, the creepy eyes? I don't know. I wasn't the one that said creepy eyes. She said creepy eyes. <laughs> I brought up the iRobot. So this, this poor kid is going to have a, a long tenure of, of being messed with over that. Your update yesterday had, or Friday, had all kinds of links in it. And rather than writing something about each of them, we just gave you a link to go to it because, you know, this is the last Sunday of, of uh, July. We're moving into August. Fall is right around the corner. So uh, group opportunities, event opportunities, uh, all kinds of things there. You notice there's, there's a listing for volleyball, but also pop-up volleyball. So there's a volleyball group, but then there's also a one-time event. So I'm not going to read through all of them. Just take the time to, to look at each of those and see if that's something uh, you'd like to participate in as the, as the fall gets going. And then the last two... Don't miss that we have a link there for the Green Lake video and for the Quest video so you can watch those again and again and again. Many of these groups it. are coming up in the next two to three weeks, so make sure uh, that if you're interested in those that you, that you check those out. Before you go there, you're, this afternoon yeah. you're going to play? Yes, finally. No <clears throat> rain. Uh, so we are going to go head over to watch the baptisms uh, if you have time to do that. And then Revive, we are going to head over to Shannon Junior High Baseball Field and we're going to do like a little home run derby. We'll have some frisbees out there. We'll bring the, the chains for disc golf and all that. Um, so we're going to be hanging out outside over there. There is shade in the dugout. So we're going to be hanging out, eating, and we'll be there until 2. I'm not exactly sure when we'll show up because baptisms will start at about 1140, 1145. So we'll be probably there just afternoon, somewhere in that 12 to 1215 range. But then we'll hang out until 2. 
And then this Wednesday, uh, Refuge and the junior hires, we are meeting from 6.30 to 8.30 to do a minute to win at night based off the, the game show. So that'll be a lot of fun. But then next week, we're going to take off and we'll fire everything back up. The week that most schools are starting to go back, and that's August 14th and August 17th, respectively, for Revive and Refuge. Thank you. So um, we're going to go straight to communion this morning, and, and for, two, for two aspects of that. One, if you were here for the worship night last night, uh, it's just good to continue that, that spirit of worship into this morning, having spent that time singing to Jesus. If you weren't here for that, uh, sometimes we just need a, a chance to put the last week behind us and start fresh, and this is that fresh morning. So uh, what I've asked Brian to do this morning is read the book of, or the, the chapter of, chapter 2 of Second Timothy to us. This particular chapter, um, I love it. We're finally moving out of chapter 1. We've been looking at this uh, throughout, the, throughout the summer. But you mentioned, and I, and I love this, what I'd like as you're listening to the chapter this morning is to listen for a, a word or a phrase, some area that, that God speaks to you this morning. And, and you commented about on your drive-in what happened. Yeah, I have a longer drive than most of you. It takes me between 30 and 35 minutes. If there's no traffic um, to get here. So I get to listen you know, our Second Timothy assignment, I usually get to listen to it uh, at least two full times. And today, mm -hmm. because I knew that we were going into Second Timothy chapter 2, I just stuck there. So I got to listen to it six times. And I listened to uh, the voices, as you talked about. I chose Russell. He reads the New Living Translation. Russell's from the UK. And so he says things really cool and, and fancy. Uh, and then I, I put like the piano and the cello in the background and I'm listening and the thing that kept smacking me even as I got distracted by driving which I guess is a good thing um, the word endure He's, he, the way that he says endure uh, caught me every time because th that word is in here um, I didn't actually count but it's five or six Seven. times mm -hmm. um, and so every time he said endure it made me like kind of refocus and listen back in and catch what we are being told to endure, or what Paul is encouraging Timothy to endure. So I'm not going to use a British accent this morning, and I'm not going to say endure, but, um, but if that helps tee you up for, uh, for something that might hit you this morning, um, I hope, hope it does. Thank you. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the, pub, in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all of these things. Always remember that Christ Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory to those in Christ Jesus to those who God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. 
If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, though, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who, work, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation of stone with this inscription, The Lord knows who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be like a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for your master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient even with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And so, God, we pray that your word would seep into the cracks of our soul, that we would be watered, strengthened by what you have to say. We thank you for the specific words and phrases that you give us today that are meant to encourage us, exhort us, correct us, and change us. As we move toward communion this morning, pray that we would find refreshment there and satisfaction in Jesus. Amen. What I'd like to do is put a kind of a bow on the last four weeks. We've been focusing on this, uh, these two verses from first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the gift God has given you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but he's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. We have really, we've, we've torn those apart and understand that there was something in Timothy that he was uh, holding back. He was not giving all that he could because there was a, a fearfulness, a timidity about him, probably one that moved beyond a simple personality to, to an actual pulling back. And, and, and God said, or Paul said to him, that's not where you have to live. As a follower of Jesus, we do not naturally live in fear and timidity. God has given us a spirit, a spirit of power and courage. He's given us a spirit of love. 
He's given us a spirit of self-discipline, of a sound mind, and all those come together to help us to do everything God wants us to do with full fire. As we move to chapter 2, I notice something, and I, and I love the way this is laid out. Paul begins, he says to Timothy that he wants him to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And then he says, I want you to, I want you to pay attention to something. He mentions three careers, three roles in, in society at that time. He talks about the soldier, he talks about the uh, athlete, and he talks about the farmer. He looks at these three and he, and he tries to teach Timothy a short lesson on each of them. He makes clear that the soldier doesn't get entangled in, in the stuff of life, but is quick to obey the commands of his officer. He, he says of the athlete that the athlete doesn't win unless the athlete plays by the rules. He says of the farmer that the farmer should be the one to enjoy the fruit of their labor. The first fruits, that, that should come to them. They should be able to enjoy those things. Now, as, as I was listening to this and, and thinking through it, after four weeks of focusing on love, self-discipline, power, and looking at, looking at those particular aspects of what God has implanted in us, couldn't help but see the correlation between those spirits and these careers. And that, and that in many ways, Paul is continuing the theme into the next passage. For example, when he talks about the soldier, what is, what is the prime characteristic you want to see in a soldier? A person who is strong and courageous. You, you, don't, you don't want your soldier to be the most, the most timid person in the war. You want to see strength and courage there. And so he says, be like the soldier with that, with that power and courage that God has given you. you know, mix it up a little bit to stick with this. He says of the farmer, the farmer, the farmer is a person who exhibits a spirit of love. Now, you may think in terms of big ag these days, big ag is totally corporate, and so in light of that, you don't see a lot of love. But what about the family farmer? What about the person who has that, that plot of land that's been a part of their family generationally, and, and, they, and they raise crops on that land, the same land that mom did and grandma did, and, and they've, they've really gotten into that. As, as we were gathered together last night, Valerie Folletti was leaving, and I said, hey, I've got to ask you a question. She's farmed the same place all of her life. I said, is it accurate to say in your form of farming that you exhibit a spirit of love when it comes to the relationship you have with the land, with the crops, with the animals, all that sort of thing? She said, absolutely no doubt. If you don't believe it, go ahead and talk to the Lardies anytime. The Lardies have a, a little family farm, and when they talk about their family farm, it is love, love, love. It's, it's love for the soil. You see them posting seedlings that are going to be going in the ground back in February and March as they're growing those. You, you hear them talk about their animals. They've named all the animals. Everything they're going to eat has a name. You know, they, 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 uh, they talk about the crops that they have. They talk about the land that they have with tremendous love. And if you get in a conversation with them, there's also this love that exudes when they talk about taking this produce that's good and natural and getting it to people who need that so that they can live healthy lives. You hear love pouring out of them when they talk about it. So you have the spirit of courage in the soldier. You have the spirit of love in the farmer. And then there comes the athlete. And the athlete, the good athlete, the winning athlete is a person of self-discipline. It is rare, I don't know, maybe it's happened, but it's rare that a person in their post-Olympic uh, interview, when we're talking to them, they say, so tell us about their, your diet. And they say, 100% exclusively Coke and Twinkies. 
all the time. All I do is lay around eating Coke and Twinkies. It doesn't happen. You know full well that a person who is going to win is a person who has some self-discipline. Brian mentioned recently that he's going to be um, head coach of the cross-country team, Shanahan Junior High. And, and Brian, Brian has something going for him that I love. He has a lot of natural athletic ability. I wonder what that's like. It did not come from this side of the family one ounce. I swing a bat differently every time. I throw a ball differently every time. He's got, the, he's got a natural gift when it comes to this. But, but in the words of one of my favorite detectives, Monk, that can be a gift as well as a curse. Because when you show up with natural ability, you show up thinking, I got this. And what happens is there are other people who may not even have as much natural ability as you do, but they're willing to put in the hard work. And before you know it, they're doing a little bit better and a little bit better. And before you know it, you find yourself number six on that cross-country team of five because they've done the work and you haven't done the work. And so he says in all of these, as you look at these different, these different roles in life, he says, he, he brings it over once again and says, as you're thinking about courage, think of the soldier. As you're thinking about love, think of the farmer. As, as you're thinking about self-discipline, think, go ahead and think about the athlete. Now, I love the way he ends this, cha- this paragraph because he says, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. You know what he says? Dwell on it. Pause, meditate, ruminate, think. For a lot of us, we think engaging the Bible is about just reading it or even just studying it. But there's this deeper level, Paul says, would you just take the time to reflect on it? Reflect on it. And and what is incredible is after four weeks of hearing about these different spirits that God wants us to live in as well as the one that he does not want us to live in. When I came over to chapter 2, verse 7 was being lived out. As I'm reading these and I go, wait a second, I hear this in here. I hear the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of self-discipline. So we know that fear and timidity was holding Timothy back. There's another factor that's holding him back that Paul refers to throughout the four chapters. Not just fear, but shame or being ashamed. If you want to live less than the fullness of what God has for you in your salvation, live in a spirit of fear and shame. Live in a spirit of fear and shame. Fear will stop you from doing the hard thing, and shame will cause you to think you are not worthy. You are not the one that should be involved in this whatsoever. It'll cause you to distance yourself from the work of God. Paul says, my goodness, don't live in a spirit of fear and timidity and put aside a spirit of shame and being ashamed. Now, as you look at the book, you can see in the lines as well as between the lines some of the things about which Timothy could have been carrying some shame. One of the things, one of the reasons he might have been ashamed is what we might call a less than power-filled gospel. Now, the true gospel is 100% power-filled. But then there's this other thing out here called religion. And religion can often be less than power-filled. In each chapter, we have Paul mentioning people that were involved in just controversies. Conversations about things that just plain didn't matter. 
And time and time again, we don't even have the full nature of what these things were. We just know that the church at that time was being consumed by little things here and there. In fact, one of them mentioned today is the fact that there were people that were actually teaching that the resurrection of the dead didn't happen. So we have these controversies going on, these conversations that were sidebars. They didn't really matter. They were sophomoric conversations. Do you know what a sophomore is? You're thinking, well, it's the second year of high school, second year of college. A sophomore is two Greek words smashed together. It's the word Sophia, wisdom, and it's the word moron. Sophia and moron are smashed together to be a wise fool. Sadly, when we are in the sophomoric stage of our life, not necessarily our sophomore year, but when we are in the sophomoric stages of our lives, we know just enough to be dangerous. We know just enough to be foolish. And for a lot of people, as they're in their spiritual walk, as they're, as they're starting to grow and collect information and hear about different theologies and hear about different perspectives, they're ready to go out there and put it to work and they don't even know what they're talking about yet. They're not there yet. It's time to take it in, listen, understand, grow, but they're in kind of this wise fool stage where they're just blurting everything they've learned and they don't even know how it all comes together yet. And, and, Timothy, and Paul has to say to Timothy time and time again, don't get entangled in that stuff. Timothy must have been getting entangled in it. And you know what happens when you get entangled in those arguments? You get tired. You just get worn out. It is a less than powerful gospel. It's not the point. It's a sub-point. It's a side-point. It's something that pulls away from the thing that really matters to the point that you find yourself saying, why am I even bothering? To the point that you find yourself ashamed of your association with the church. I wonder if that's not a little bit of what is going on with Timothy. But he also had another source of potential shame, and that was his association with Paul himself. There are two things you need to know about Paul, one that we know from stories and one that we know directly from 2 Timothy. From stories, we know that Paul is, he is type A choleric. He is driven. He is mission focused. We're going to get this done. There's one story in the Bible that talks about Paul and, and a co-worker named Barnabas. Barnabas's name literally meant son of encouragement. Wouldn't you love to have a name that means something like that? Dennis means Greek god of wine. I mean, it's not something you want to throw around, right? But, but here he is in partnership with the son of encouragement. Barnabas has never seen a person in whom he doesn't see potential. Every person is going to be the best worker for the kingdom of God. And Paul's like, we got a mission, we got to do it now. That guy's not ready, put him aside. And you can see people kind of looking at the two and saying, I'd prefer hanging around Barnabas. He's nice. That Paul, little sharp elbowed. I wonder how many times Timothy had to defend the way Paul went about business. But there was another defense that he had to give. And that was that Paul was something of a jailbird. He's constantly getting in trouble. He's constantly being pulled off to prison. And there are people that are going, you know what? If you were doing it right you wouldn't be getting in trouble with the law so much. I mean, if I was in and out of jail every other weekend, I think a few of you would start wondering, what in the, who, 
It's time to rehire. It's time to go for, what's going on with this guy? Time and time again, he's getting in trouble with the authorities. He literally says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. There were people that were ashamed of Paul because he was constantly in trouble. And yet that constant trouble he was in was the sign that he was doing something right, not that he was doing something wrong. So for Timothy, I think you see both of these reasons possibly that he's got some shame going. There's this less than power-filled gospel. He's just weary of the stupid controversies. And his association with Paul might cause him some tension as people are questioning whether or not Paul is really doing the work of God or not. So we took four, way, four weeks to look at the, the pathway to move from fear and timidity to power, love, and self-discipline. We're going to take one week to look at the pathway uh, out of shame, out of being ashamed. And honestly, this could be six weeks, so strap on your belt. Let's go. What's the pathway to moving beyond being ashamed of Christ, being ashamed of the gospel? Well, the first is to embrace the person of Christ. Paul says, I want you to embrace everything you can about Jesus. He says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. That might be the most basic way we know whether or not we are ashamed of Jesus. Do we tell anybody about him? Anybody. Is there anybody in my life that knows I have a relationship with Jesus? If something's working for me, you know about it. I'd love to tell you where I got mulch. I got some of the best topsoil I've ever gotten recently. I, I talk about things that work, talk about things that are good. Do I talk about Jesus equally? Am I not ashamed to share this reality of who Jesus is in my life? He says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Hear these words of Paul from Philippians. He's talking about all the things he used to count on for his salvation, all the things he used to count on to be worthy of a relationship with God. And he says, all those things I thought were valuable, I consider them worthless now because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He goes on to say, I want to know Christ. I want to embrace the person of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Have you ever prayed that? Jesus, I want to suffer with you. We all pray, Jesus, don't make me suffer. Here's Paul saying, I want to suffer with Jesus, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Would you catch the first part of that line, and it was in the last passage that was on the screen as well? I want to know Christ. You know what he doesn't say? I want to know about Christ. Most of us want to know about Christ as an intellectual pursuit, but we do not necessarily want to know Christ. We do not necessarily want to enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I mentioned in moving mulch and dirt that I had songs playing over and over and over again in my ears, and one of them that I heard at least 30-some times 
is the words of a singer, an artist singing the words, I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. Pull me a little closer. I want to know your heart, Jesus. Do you want to know the heart of Jesus? Do you, do you want that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus? He says, if you're going to move beyond shame, you need to be willing to embrace fully the person of Jesus. He says, further, you need to engage the power of the gospel. Look at what he says about the gospel. He says, and now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. The good news is the Greek word euangelion. It's the word gospel. He says, he revealed this through the powerful gospel. He says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. He says, always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news. This is the euangelion. This is the gospel I preach and because I preach this gospel, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Nothing can stop the word of God. Nothing can stop the truth from advancing. So I am willing to endure anything. It will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen in Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The church of Jesus Christ has the power of the gospel. And yet in America 2022, in modern America, in pagan secularist modern America 2022, we are ashamed to bring the gospel to the table of the conversation. Especially, especially when people throw out terms like the science and the data. Oh, if it's science, we better, we better just keep the Bible clear from that. You know, it's, again, rather sophomoric when a person says, I believe in science, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible. The two go hand in hand. Science reinforces what the Word of God has to say. And it's a simplistic view to think I have to choose one or choose the other. The two go hand in hand. But you know, when, when you want to just make simplistic declarations, that's what you get. You need to think through it. You need to think through it in a way to understand that the two are not diametrically opposed. They go together. They go together. But what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves pulling the punch. We find ourselves not bringing the word of God to the table. We find ourselves saying, I don't know. I don't know if I should say that right now. I think one of the things that was really discouraging at the beginning of the pandemic was to have the church declared uh, non-essential. You're, you're in the middle of a pandemic and it's non-essential. But you know what was sad? Not that the government declared us non-essential, but the church of Jesus Christ viewed itself as non-essential. Let's let science take care of this one. Only God has the answer for our problems. Do you believe that or not? Do you believe that the gospel is powerful or not? Or do you believe it's something grandma believed in as soon as she croaks, you can finally stop going to church? What is it? Do we believe in the power of the gospel? 
Embrace the person of Christ, he says, and you will find your shame diminishing. Engage the power of the gospel, and you will find your shame diminishing. And then he says, endure every season of suffering. Brian pointed out, time and time again, Paul keeps using that word, endure, and throughout all four chapters, he talks about the value of suffering. One of the areas our culture is getting it wrong is that we avoid suffering at all costs. And in the process, we are not becoming like his son. There is a place for suffering. And we're going to spend all next week talking about that. (laughs) That is why I'm suffering here in prison, he says. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I believe in the power of Jesus even in the middle of my suffering. Further, he says, entrust the truth to others. This is what I love. He says in in 2 Timothy 2, starting, he says, starting chapter 2, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things and have been confirmed, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on yet to others. He says, you want to grow away from your shame? Find find some faithful people, find some trustworthy people, and start teaching them the truth. Because when we live life in community, when we live out the truth in community, it is a way of helping us to know that we are not alone. We are not alone. Someone else believes this truth too. And as we have more and more people that believe the truth with us together, we find that spirit of being shamed and ashamed diminishing. He goes on to say, excel in handling God's word. Now, if you're a kid like me that went to Awana, and let me just pet peeve moment, okay? It's Awana, not Awanas. I don't know why some people want to pluralize it. Um, it's Awana. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Not approved workmen are not ashamed, Sally. Or approved workmen are not ashamed, Silly. It's approved workmen are not ashamed. And it's based on this verse, not 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 15, but 2, 15. Work hard to present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. He says, you want to be unashamed? You want to be not embarrassed? Do the hard work of understanding the word of God. Oh, but but I'm not a pastor. So what? God declares you a priest. We are a royal priesthood and every one of us can take the word of God and study it and understand it. He says, do the hard work of understanding the Word of God. So often when we're involved in, you know, groups with each other, there's a line that people throw out, well, I think. And what they really should be saying is, my opinion is. Your opinion is beautiful, but is it what the Word of God is teaching? Is it what the Word of God is saying? Our opinions are like belly buttons. Every one of us had one, and some of them are very deep. Nonetheless, Opinions are great, but it doesn't matter what we think. What does the Word of God have to say? Excel in handling God's Word. And then he says, escape evil and pursue purity. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on God out of a pure heart. You know why a lot of people live ashamed? Because we do shameful things. 
We do shame. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Now, I don't know what your image is of what's being written here and what's happening here. You have probably a picture of really old Paul writing to really young Timothy, like this 22-year-old fresh out of college, just assigned at Ephesus, going to his first church board meeting, all that kind of stuff. Timothy's probably about 40 years old. And he's saying to a person that is 40, avoid the lusts that come with being young. And he says it to the 60-year-old, and he says it to the 80-year-old. He says it to all of us. It's funny how, you know, I think younger kids look at someone like me and say, well, clearly, he is, he is well past having to worry about youthful lusts. And the Bible says everyone has to worry about them. And many, many people over the past five to ten years, Christian leaders, prominent people have been derailed because they didn't take 2 Timothy 2.22 seriously. They can't even step into the churches they were part of founding anymore because they didn't take 2 Timothy 2.22 seriously to flee the evil desires of youth. Remember, I've said it before. King David gets involved in the affair with Bathsheba when he's about 50 He's not 25 years old. He's about 50 years old. He says, throughout your lifetime, avoid the evil desires of youth. But he, I love that Brian pointed this out last week. He, he didn't just say don't. He said, and pursue, run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with others, along with other people, find others who call on God out of a pure heart. So you want to live a, a life that is not ashamed of the gospel, that is not ashamed of Jesus, a life that is willing to declare the truth, embrace the person of Christ, hold him wholeheartedly, engage that power of the gospel, endure every season of suffering, be in the process of entrusting the truth to other faithful people, excel in handling the word of God, get better and better at studying and understanding, discerning what the word has to say, and escape evil and pursue purity. Now, there, there's a passage in chapter 2 that I want to touch on before we close. It's, it's, a, it's a saying, some believe it might have been a hymn of the early church. It says, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. I want to look at the third couplet. If we deny him, he will deny us. When we live in a place of shame, ashamed and embarrassed long enough of the gospel, and shamed and embarrassed long enough of the church, and shamed and embarrassed long enough of Jesus himself, we find ourselves moving more and more toward denial, more and more toward, the, the word could also properly be translated disowning Christ. I want nothing to do with Jesus anymore. I want nothing to do with the gospel anymore. I struggle with this verse, and by the way, this verse, direct quote from Jesus. If you deny me, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. I grew up in a background that teaches eternal security. Once saved, always saved. And so I come to this verse, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this verse? Does this verse mean that, that I can lose my salvation? What does this verse mean? And I'll tell you what, I have studied it and wrestled with it, and I'm still not comfortable with my conclusion on this verse. Here's what, here's what I can safely conclude. I don't ever want to find out personally what it means. I don't ever want to be in the place of having denied Christ 
to find out what it means when he says, I will deny you if you deny me. And I know for some of you, you're, you're in a season of wrestling, and wrestling is good. Faith comes when we have questions. Faith comes when we have doubts. But it's one thing to have questions and doubts, and it's another thing to simply, cynically, simplistically reject the gospel and not even think about it because it's easy. Can I say to you today, don't take the chance to find out what this verse means. Don't take the chance. You think it's no big deal. The creator of your hands and feet has said, if you deny me, I will deny you. Don't take the chance to find out what it means. Embrace Jesus. Work through it. Work through it. But don't just reject him. This verse means something serious. And so, Father God in heaven, I pray that we would take every word of your word seriously that we would not simply write it off because we have a theological perspective that would not allow for what we think might could possibly happen, but that we would take your word seriously, that we would be people who would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We would not be ashamed to bring Jesus to the table. We would not be ashamed to talk about him publicly because we love him, because we embrace him fully. God, I pray that your church would once again experience power, Power because it is not ashamed or fearful. But instead, we live in that spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. We live in a spirit of embracing Jesus. In your name, amen. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but, be, but because that was his plan from the beginning and before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. One of the ways that we express with great pride our relationship with Jesus and our devotion to him is believer's baptism by immersion. And we're going to go do some splashing right now in the DuPage River. So let's call it in 20 minutes. 20 minutes, we'll be over there at the river to see some of our friends get baptized. We hope you'll join us. Uh, we meet at the, the kayak entrance. So as you come into Four Rivers Park, uh, you come in on the road and the first, the first parking area, park in there. You will see us over at the water. Don't be ashamed to tell others about Jesus. You have a great week.